Pastor. It's good to be with you this morning. Good morning. We are uh, considered an honor to be here with you today and to share some things with you, of our, a little bit of our journey and some other thoughts along the way, but uh, we're very thankful to be here and to uh, worship with you and share some things together. It's good to see Sandra today. You know, my wife and Katie and I refer to her as a saint, and uh, she is indeed, and so we're very, very thankful uh, to see you today and that you're here and able to be with us and, and all that's going on. You're a part of the story, as is Pastor Pete and all that's been going on. But again, we're, we're so thankful to be with you and appreciate your thoughts and your prayers and, uh, and this opportunity to be with you. You know, as we, um, as we share some thoughts and how this all kind of ties in, I know a lot of the story many have heard, but there's a, there's a human side to it as well as a, a publicized version of it. Um, five years ago, March the 25th, 2014, was, like, was a day like anybody else's day that they would be facing. Uh, for myself and Elisa and Katie, where there was work, there was life, there was some changes coming up, there was a graduation approaching, uh, there had been some, some physical ailments, there had been this and that and the other thing, uh, just some, so many things that are just common to so many people. But on this particular day, we would face a challenge that would really, within a matter of moments, would change the direction of our lives forever, in this earth anyways. But on that day, as uh, school was going on and so forth, Katie had had a lot of different things going on. She had some physical things that she was overcoming. There were uh, a relationship that had, uh, had gone south, as they say. There had been betrayal by those that confidence you'd had. And on this given day, there was just a, as somebody has referred to it, a perfect storm, if you would, taking place. And on this day, in fact, I was her teacher on that particular morning. And she came up to me and she said, Daddy, she said, I just, I just can't stay here. I just, it's just too much going on. I said, okay, we'll go home and, and I'll, uh, I'll sign you out and we'll, we'll talk later. So the moments go by, class is over. I go over to the planning session and and uh, someone stops me and mentions something about Katie and what she'd been going through and how she was feeling. And, and immediately I gave a call and I checked in on her and she said, I'm fine, you know, just whatever. I knew she was troubled. But after the conversation, some time went by, about another 30 minutes or so, and my wife calls me, and which was a miracle because it's hard for me to be found on a cell phone from time to time. And she, I picked up on the first ring. And as I did, she, I could hear her voice on the other side very quickly and found out that something was wrong. And she said, Katie's gone. I said, what do you mean she's gone? You know, knew she had been upset and so forth. And, and I thought, well, maybe she's just taken off somewhere. She said, she's gone. And as she, the next few words were spoken, she said, she's gotten a hold of Robert's rifle and she has shot herself and she's gone. As she's saying this, I'm rising up and I'm running down the hall quickly and quietly to the secretary's office to take, take me to my son's house because that's where she had gone to. And she'd spent some time with her brother. And her mom had shown up there prior to that because she knew that she'd been upset and she was talking and so forth. But it, the, no clue to anything like this. No, no, no precursor to it. And what happened was my wife had gone there. She had talked to Katie and they were back and forth a little bit conversing and they were gonna spend the rest of the day together and they had stepped outside. My wife and my son who was there 
to meet somebody who was dropping something off. And in those few moments they were there, Katie had gone into the bedroom of her brother and located that, that item and got a hold of it in the solitude and that place and that brevity of time. And that trigger was pulled and destruction had taken place. We arrived on the scene. I arrived on the scene several minutes later. My son, my wife, had gone into the place because they had not seen Katie when they went back in. Very quickly, my son would go to the bathroom door and kick the door in, and there he would find Katie and say, no, Katie. He physically turned around and picked my wife up, moved her outside. And then he told her, he said, Katie, got a hold of my rifle. She's gone, Mom. Get a hold of Dad. Call 911. He goes back in. He checks it. He can't find a pulse. I get there and I arrive and he physically prevents me from going in. Moments later, law enforcement shows up. Then emergency services show up. We're crying out. You're crying out to God. No, 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 no. Law enforcement guy comes out and he shakes his head in the, in the negative that she's, she's gone. EMTs show up. Within several moments, through a chain of voices, we hear this, we hear, She's alive, we have a pulse, and just like that, things would move in a different direction. She would be life-flighted to Regional One Medical Center in Memphis, Tennessee, an hour away, where while we were on our, right, on our way there, they're already performing surgeries upon her to spare her life. And from there, she would spend the next several weeks there until ultimately she would be transferred as they got her stable enough, saved her life. And she would be transferred to the Cleveland Clinic in May of 2014, where for the next three years, she would work hard and she would have ups and downs, sometimes balancing between life and death. So many operations. We can't even keep track of the operations, how many there were now. But the thing that hand is, is that for the next three years, she would go up and she would go down. There would be three steps forward, two steps backwards. So many different things. And all these things would go forth until the spring of 2017 when our life and Sandra's life would connect unbeknownst to us at that moment. And there Katie would be the recipient of a full face transplant, the youngest in the history of the United States. So for the past two years, she has been strengthening and recuperating and, and regaining her strength. And, and I wanna just take a moment here and. I want you just to say hello to my wife, Elise, and my daughter. Okay, you guys, why don't you just stand up and just say, just wave hi to the folks. They can see you. This is my wife, Elisa, our daughter, Katie. So she's here, living life, beginning to move forward. So much of a narrative that takes place, but you, you know the thing that, under, that happens is, is that sometimes Troubles are seen and sometimes troubles are not seen. Challenges are there. This was something that blew us off the map. This was something that literally rocked our world as it would with anybody. But sometimes you can see things coming on the horizon and sometimes you don't. And sometimes people's troubles are evident. Sometimes people's troubles are not evident. And you may not go through the harrowing experience that we've walked through or Katie's walked through or some of you have walked through. Maybe you have, maybe you will. But there's something to understand in these situations. 
And that is even in the midst of the darkest moment, even in the midst of when it seems like everything is falling apart, there is still hope. And as long as there's breath, there is hope. As long as there's an opportunity to live, you can go another step further. By the grace of God, by the mercy of God, Katie would walk through, she would live, and it was not without difficulty. The first several weeks they were up and down, sometimes back and forth between life and death. Even to the point, after several days, one of the doctors would come to us and say, you know, has anybody really talked to you? Really shared with you how bad things really are? She'll never, she'll never breathe on her own again. She'll never be able to put her clothes on. She can never take a bath on her own again. She'll be a vegetable. She won't be able to do anything. It, it would be best if you just let her go. And of course, being the mighty man of faith and strength and hope that I was, you know, with your throat hanging, your heart in your throat right here, I'm, I'm saying, no, I'm not ready to give up on my daughter. But you know, even in the greatest odds, there's hope. Even in the darkest of moments, there's hope. And the thing to understand is, is that by the grace and mercy of God, we made it through the hours, the days, the moments, the weeks, the months, and now into the years. And you take it, sometimes you have to take it one day at a time. But in the reality of it is, sometimes you have to take it one moment at a time. One moment at a time. And so we've come to this point in time and, and you wonder, how do you go from a situation like that to be able to function today? What is it that we see? What is it that we know? What, what is it that you find out in these circumstances like this? It's not just the fact that somebody's alive and somebody's beginning to move forward with life, but here's something to understand very quickly. And that is, for each one of us, we recognize the deals of pressure, of pain, but I want you to hear something this morning, that there's something also, that there's still a promise. Something that enables you. How do you get from a tragedy like that to where now there's life? How is it that you go from one moment to the next? How is it you're able to function? What is it that you begin to see? And I want to take several moments this, this morning, and I want you to hear some things about three things. Pressure, pain, and yet a promise. And there's a couple of scriptures I want to bring your way, and one of them is found in the book of Jeremiah in verse 11. And I'd like to read it to you from the message version. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says this. God says, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. Then there's another passage in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33. This one from the Amplified Version. It's, it puts it this way. It says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. In the world you have tribulation and distress and suffering, but be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished. My victory is abiding. Listen for just a minute. Let's consider the idea of pain, pressure, and promise. If you look at that Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, and you take note of the word know, where he says, I know the plans I have for you. It's a word that occurs in the scripture nearly a thousand times. 
Usually when somebody mentions something to you repeatedly, they're trying to get your attention. Rob, take out the trash. Rob, take out the trash. By the 15th time, I get it. I got to take that trash out. None of you guys can relate to that. I got it. But when somebody tells you something a thousand times, odds are they're trying to get your attention. And it's used nearly a thousand times, and it's, it's a word that's used about gaining information. It's, it's used of God's understanding of people as well as our understanding of God. Scripture uses this word to proclaim God's complete knowledge of creation. Listen, that nothing can be hidden from his understanding. Did you hear that? Nothing can. Even a tragedy. Nothing can be hidden from his understanding. God's perception and recognition extend to every act and every circumstance. There's nothing that catches God by surprise. God's knowledge extends to our relationships. It extends to our circumstances, our behavior, our tendencies, our talents, our emotions. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, again from the message, God said this, he told the prophet Jeremiah, he says, before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Somebody knows everything about you. Somebody knows every, all the details, all the nuances, all the pluses, all the minuses, all the good, the bad, and the ugly. And someone with that kind of knowledge would certainly know what's best for us and exactly how you and I need to fit into this world. Look at the word plans. In Jeremiah 20, 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you. I look around this morning and I see a lot of lovely people. But once I look at everybody, including myself first, I begin to recognize we're all flawed. Isn't that true? We're all broken. We're all flawed at best. You got up this morning and you brushed your teeth and you combed your hair. You thought, I'm looking pretty good. I'm looking pretty good. But you know, we're flawed. We're broken people. And the word plans there, in the old language that it was written in, it carries the idea, listen to this, of creating something new, something fresh, something that's adapting, something that's adjusting or adjustable. So what does it have to do with us this morning? How does that, this kind of thing relate to our lives and our fluid circumstances, whether they're good or whether they're bad? Consider this, God's plans are never cast in concrete. God's plans are never cast in concrete. They are flexible. They are flexible. Adjusting to our lives as our circumstances change. You know, it's, it's easy to think that God only has one perfect plan, one perfect idea, one narrow plan for your life, and that if you make a mistake, if you make a wrong decision, if the bottom drops out, the shoe falls, if you sin, if you do something that changes your, the course of your life forever, you think that, that's all there is. You think it's shattered. All I'm left with is shattered dreams, a broken heart, grief, sorrow, disappointment, pain. It's, it is so easy and human to think, well, there's no hope. Everything's over. I blew it. I mean, this is bad. This is horrible. Everything's wrong. Everything's gone. Everything's over. 
the, the plan is now forever destroyed. There, there's no need to go on. There's no need to move on. And all that's left are pieces, or second best, or, or third best. No, in fact, there's nothing to live for. When the pressure, when the pain, when the problems, when the heartache, when all those things take place, maybe for some it's a divorce, maybe it's a a job failure or losing of a job, maybe it's health issues, maybe it's the rejection by somebody else, whatever it might be, whatever it might be, listen for just a second. God does not have just one perfect plan. Not one perfect plan, but what he does have. Because he said, I know the plans that I have for you. I, I'm, I'm, it's fluid like a river. It's moving. It's adjustable. There's flexibility. He said, I know the plans I have for you. He has, he has something, but what is it? What he does have is a promise. Everybody say promise. He has a promise. He has one promise. He has one purpose. He has one goal. He has one destiny. What is that? That we would all become what we were meant to be by becoming more like Jesus Christ. You see, things change day day to day. Things change. All of a sudden, things come out of nowhere. Tragedies happen. Traumas happen. Difficulties happen. Where did this come from? And so God has plans that move with the dictates and the circumstances that you and I live in on a daily basis But yet the thing of it is, is his promise remains the same. His destiny for you doesn't change. It doesn't matter where you've blown it, where you've hurt, where you've had trauma or tragedy or heartache. It doesn't catch God by surprise because he has a fresh plan for that day. He has a fresh plan for that hour. But he has one promise. And the promise and the goal never changes. But the plans, well, man, they're fresh and they're new every single day. You see, our pain, our pressure, our troubles, folks, it cannot destroy or ruin God's promise for you and I. Can't happen. You see, his mercy is much wider and his grace much deeper than anybody could ever imagine. After March the 25th, 2014, when your world is shattered and everything is blown up and you have no idea what's going on, you're showing up at a regional one medical center and you have a chief trauma surgeon who as old as Moses comes up to us and he says, it's the worst wound I've ever seen. And he says something like this. He says, you know, he says, the only thing I could ever think of that would be able to give Katie any sense of life is a face transplant. I never heard the term before in my life. You have to understand what's going on in my head. I'm thinking, what is a face transplant? I'm thinking, what do you do? Do you take somebody's head off and get another head and you put something else? I had no idea. Never. He says, have you, ever, have you never heard of this? And my wife and all of her heartache and her moment still has a sliver of comic genius inside of her. And she says, he says, don't you ever, guys, do you guys never watch Oprah? She says, we don't watch Oprah. We're school teachers. <laughs> never heard of it. There's a plan going this way. There's a, there's a plan going this way. And then all of a sudden, life happens. And now there's a fresh perspective. God's always one step ahead. Something fluid's going on. But there's still a, pro- there's still a destiny. There's still a goal. There's still a promise that still hangs out, hangs out there. 
What exactly is the promise, Rob? What you've walked through, what some of you have walked through, what exactly is the promise? What could possibly could be beauty out of ashes? What, what, what good could come out of something like this or what you've gone through? What, what possibly could there be? He said it right there in black and white. He said to take care of us and not abandon us. In those hours, in those days, in those weeks, in those months, and now years that we've walked through, the ups, the downs, the hell on earth, the heaven on earth, the forwards, the backwards motion, whatever the case may be, there is one thing for certain, the path changes many times, but the promise never does. And what is the reality? All along the way, you wake up and you realize, he's never, leave, he's never left me, he's never leaving me or forsaking me, he's not abandoning me. And he says, I'm gonna give you the future. Other translations, maybe you hold a different version of the Bible in your possession right now. And other translations in that passage use the word prosper and not to harm us. And the word prosper there is an old Hebrew word that maybe you and some of you have heard before. It's a word called shalom. Anybody ever heard that word before? Shalom. He said, I have shalom for you. And the word basically means peace, it means wholeness, it means completeness. It means a lot of things. But peace that's used here, this shalom that's used here, this prosper that's used here, means so much more, it transcends the mere absence of trouble or a rescue or avoidance of pain or pressure or anything like that. It's bigger than that. It's, it's something that means not just having, not having troubles, not having pain. It, it's something more than that. It's an old word that's couched, it's nestled into the idea of a relationship. Not in stuff. Man, if I could just get this. Man, the guys are thinking, if I could just get the girl, I got it. The girl's saying, if I could just get that guy. Ladies, I want to tell you something. He may look like a buff today, but in 40 years, he may look like buffalo. <laughs> Guys, she may be a babe today, but in 40 years, there's a lot of women here. She's still a babe. I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at I'm safe. Safer that way. Safer that way. I've been married 37 years. Guys, just learn. There's some things you just leave well enough alone. But all this stuff, it's not wrapped up, you know, it's not wrapped up in stuff or just, listen, not just any relationship, not just any relationship, but ultimately our relationship with the one who knows us before we were ever on the picture, before we were even formed, before you were the twinkle in your daddy's eye, he knew you. And the one, the only one who provides all the aspects of completeness because without this primary foundation, this primary relationship, we don't have anything. This is our foundational purpose of life. And when we have this foundation, without it, every other aspect of existence becomes unstable, tragic, and without hope. You can have it all, so to speak. You can live in the right place, drive the right thing, eat the right stuff, be married to that particular one, have a certain title, have a certain whatever. But unless you've got this one particular relationship, 
No matter how hard you try, no matter what your lineage might be, no matter what your background, no matter how much you seem like you've got it all together, without this foundational thing, we're unstable. It's tragedy on the horizon. Because no matter how much willpower, how much smarts, intellect, money, goods you've got, whatever your name might be, listen to Rob for just a second, that is this. We cannot find a future or completeness on our own. Can't happen. How do you get through a tragedy? Just willpower? Man, no. There's no way. People say, how have you made it through? How, how have you come this far? And we're just crazy enough to tell folks, Christ, Jesus Christ, not willpower, not a bank account, nothing wrong with any of that other stuff. Those are nice things. Having the right place to come home to, well, those are great things. But the issue at hand is, is that without him, I don't have the completeness. I don't have the stability. J.R.R. Tolkien the, uh, the famed writer and follower of Jesus Christ once wrote in a letter to someone who wished to know, he was asked, what's the purpose of life? What's the purpose of life? He wrote this, he said, it may be said that the chief purpose of life for any of us is to increase according to our experience, our knowledge of God by all the means we have and to be moved by it to praise and thanks. He just said it right there. The purpose of life is to go forward and have a walk with God and be thankful to him. See, God's purposes, everybody, God's purposes for you and I, they're not to abandon us. You may not go through a March the 25th, 2014 like we have. Maybe you have. Maybe you've walked through many other things and maybe most people don't have a clue to what it is. But friend, I want to tell you something on this Sunday, and that is that God's purposes for you and I are not to abandon us. He hasn't left you. I don't feel him. He's greater than a feeling. I don't see him. He's greater than my ability to see with my physical eyes. I can't touch him. He's bigger than just that touch. He told his apostles, his disciples, he said, listen, touch my side, touch my hand. He told Thomas, one of his followers, he said, listen. He said, you believe because you've touched and you've seen me. He said, but blessed are those who haven't seen me and still they believe. Sometimes the tragedy blurs the vision of being able to see God, but it doesn't change the truth that he won't abandon and he won't ruin. He says, I'm not going to harm you. My plan, is, my goal is not to harm you or to give you evil or to ruin you or to even give you a raw deal. In fact, it's just the opposite. Think about that scripture I read to you in John 16, He said, I've told you these things that in me you may have perfect peace. In the world you're gonna have tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Life is messy. How many of you know that? Life is messy. You can plan it all out. You can have it all, all together. It's, you got a groove going on. Then all of a sudden, it, some, it just gets messy. It's, it's, it's not black and white all the time. It's a lot of gray areas, a lot of ugly things. And many times it's tragic and many times it's unfair and there's unbearable pressure and pain. The word tribulation that's used in that passage right there, it's an old word. I love the old word pictures. 
But the word tribulation that's used in John 16, is the picture of an old wine press. Has anybody ever seen those old wine presses? You know what I'm talking about? You, you put them on there, they, they just, they roll, they roll that, that, that thing, that wheel, and it squeezes the life out of those grapes and the olives. It puts such pressure on there. So much pressure that what's on the inside comes out on the outside. You ever felt like that before? Have you ever had pressure before that was so intense? I'm not just talking where you say, I've got a little touch of a headache and I need a Tylenol. I'm talking about pressure that is so bad you don't know whether you can breathe or not. Pressure that is so intense that you literally can't focus, you can't pay attention, you doesn't seem like you can see straight. Something that is seemingly squeezing the life out of you. Jesus said, he said, you live on this earth, you're going to face those kinds of things. And I want you to hear today, folks, I want you to re recognize something. I've told other people this many times. You know what you and I have in common? We don't all look the same. We don't all dress the same. We may not all live in the same section of town. But there's something that everybody in this room has in common. You know what it is? Pain is our common denominator. And pressure, a too frequent companion. Too often squeezing us like there will be no tomorrow, no future, no remedy, nothing beyond this moment. Pressure and pain appear to have one. There's nothing to move forward with. Perhaps it, it, just to end it all would be the best thing to be free of this thing. But as Katie has told many people who've heard these words from her lips, do not choose a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Hear this, from our view, suffering, pain, all this stuff are senseless. We blame God, we blame others, we blame ourselves. All we have are bruises and nightmares and questions and scars and they, and they all seem, they're all there. They just, it's, it's all we can feel, it's all we can know. But here, the reality is, is that we don't, we don't get to define, nor do we get to dictate the terms of suffering and pain. Because the moment we can say, well, you know, you can suffer, and this is, what real, this is what suffering is. But the moment you and I can define what suffering is and what real pain is, it's no longer called pain and suffering. Realize that there is something, better yet, someone who transcends our pain. God is not, listen, God is not our problem. God is not the, the reason, he's not the cause or the architect of our suffering, but he is the master of it. There's a big difference. He's the master of it. In this world, this broken, fallen, messed up, crazy world, like the elements and the fruits of evil, unfairness and heartache and confusion that come sometimes from our own hand, sometimes from the hands of others, sometimes it comes from things seen and things unseen. But God, but God, it is he alone who has the power to take that which is unfair, broken, unjust, foolish, failing, tragic. He alone, who's the only one who can take all those kind of crazy elements and turn this horror and this trauma and our pain and turn it into, on its head and turn them in from these ugly things into the pastels and the oils to be painted on the canvas of our very lives. And from that, he paints a masterpiece that would never be seen if it was just left up to you and I. Why? Because if it was left up to you and I, pain and suffering would look a whole lot different. It would taste a whole lot different. It would be a little bit softer. Oh, that hurts, but not, not too bad. 
It, it would not hurt so much. It wouldn't cut quite so deep. Yet it's God alone who turns our mourning into dancing, who presents joy in the morning after our night times have been filled with nothing but tears and heartache. But something to recognize is, is that these things that happen to us, they are tools that can become a masterpiece. This is hard. I think I'm telling you something that just makes a good idea for someone who would preach and make a nice talk. But these things are real. These things are hard, but they are true. They are true. Instead of our de- tragedies defining us, maybe what you've gone through, you think that's, that's what my life's all about, man. Young person, you think, I've got, I, I can't make it. I don't meet, meet up. I don't match up to this, that, or the other thing. You say, this is all I'm ever gonna be. Whatever's happening around about us doesn't define us. That's all that's left. No, but in reality, these crude and broken elements in the hands of the master painter paint a masterpiece. And our lives don't have to stay forever on the shores of an impossible to cross Red Sea kind of tragedy and grief and sorrow. And we think, this is all I can be. This is all my life is. But something or someone is still in our midst. Even when the pain is awful, when it feels like hell on earth, when the fire is hot and the darkness is so deep, you can't see your hand in front of your face. There's someone there in our midst who will carry us across and to something more than just troubles. Someone, a noted pastor, Tim Keller, wrote not too long ago about this guy named Job in the Old Testament. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Job? Everybody flips to that book when things are going bad. They say, oh, Job, Job. He wrote about Job. Think about this. He wrote this. He said, through it all, he said, Job never stopped praying. Yes, he complained. He had a lot of troubles, remember? He lost his family. He had wounds. He had betrayals. He had people just saying, just curse God and die. He had a lot of things. He had a lot of things that went bad. But yet, he kept praying. He complained, but he complained to God. He doubted, but he doubted to God. He screamed and yelled, but he did, not, he did it all in God's presence. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever been mad at God? Have you ever been disappointed in God? Have you ever, in the quietness of your moment, say, God, what are you doing? You have got me mixed up with somebody else. I wasn't cut out for problems. Life was supposed to be pretty. Things are supposed to be okay. God, I, I can't go through this. I can't take another minute. I can't take another day. He said, but no matter how much agony, he said, Job was in, he continued to talk to God. He kept seeking him. And in the end, God said, Job triumphed. Not because Job's heart and motives were always right, but because Job's doggedness in seeking the face and presence of God meant that the suffering did not drive him away from God, but toward him. And that made all the difference. When you go through a tragedy, our family has asked these questions many times. Why? Why did this? Why this? The shoulda, coulda, would is a life. But something about this guy, Job, is that Job, for all of his life, he never saw why he suffered. But he saw God, and that was enough. When you don't know how you're going to get to the other side, when you don't know how you're going to make it, when you don't know how you're going to handle the pressures, you say, 
But when God shows, when you see him, when you draw to him, when you're drowning, I don't think you're trying to do the bat float. When you're sinking, you don't just say, let's see how far this really goes. You're reaching, you're grasping, you're pulling, you're reaching, you're grasping, you're pulling, you're grasping. And yet the thing that matters is, is that you need, you need, you need. And desperate times call for desperate measures. And when you're desperate enough, you'll reach for him. And you will reach out for nothing, and yet you will find someone there. Don't forget, and let's remember that there's a promise. There's a purpose to yours and mine existence, and it's Christ himself. To realize that no matter the circumstance, the tragedy or trouble, we're known by him, and that we may know him above all things. Folks, it's not in the accumulation or possession of some thing, nor in the affection of someone or the attainment of some special level or, or, or status or name about what we are or who we are, but what defines us today, our very existence, what completes us is life. And that life is Christ himself. I gotta begin to wrap up, but I, I want you to hear this. In the Old Testament, there's an old prophet named Habakkuk. Who names their kid Habakkuk? I hope there's nobody Habakkuk here today. But in Habakkuk, in chapter three, the Old Testament prophets said this. He said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The word joy there is so out of context for what's going on. All Habakkuk could see was problems and devastation and distress and disappointment. But the word joy means to dance and it means to leap for joy. What brings this kind of joy? What, kind of, what brings this resolve to anybody, let alone a guy named Habakkuk? Is it our jobs, our possessions, even our family? This ancient prophet, he looked around and that's all he saw was rough. But he concluded he, this, I could lose everything and I could lose everyone. I could be stripped of everything. And yet joy would still be there. The truth is, is that joy doesn't come from the things that we, which can be lost or destroyed or the people that can and will fail us, nor the, neither from the, the modern day thing of, well, you know what, I just, this delusional, I just need the Facebook kind of life. Because why? Because everybody's beautiful there. Everybody's gorgeous there. Nobody has a problem. Everybody's on vacation and people are always showing me the recipes. Life is great. And everybody wants my life if I'm on here. Girls, you're always taking those pictures with your hand on your hip, like your hip's sticking out here, and you got duck lips going like, mm, this is great. Everybody looks wonderful. Even the guys do that, I guess. Oh, and the recipes, they're to die for, man. Oh, if I can have that life, that is the new status symbol. And everybody will want what I have. No, real joy, real joy, real purpose, true life comes from the Lord the God of our salvation, the God of our salvation. I gotta wrap up and as we close, I want you to think of what I've shared with you this morning. Pain, pressure, but there's a promise. How do you walk through tragedy? How do you see that there's something that's more than just a tragedy? How do you recognize that there's something beyond the moment? How are you gonna make it through the rest of this day? How are you gonna make it through the rest of the week? 
The bank is calling. Say you're six months behind. You've been served with divorce papers. Somebody's saying, you know, I just don't want to go on and live anymore. You've been pink slipped from a job that you've had for 30 years. The money's dried up and there's none coming in. The pain in your body is beyond description. But you know what? You try to put a smile on your face, a wink to your eye, one foot in front of the other, but you're dying on the vine on the inside. What are you gonna do? How are you gonna get there? How are you gonna get beyond? What are you gonna reach out for? I want you to consider one of the greatest statements ever written. This by a man known as St. Augustine. He said this. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. No matter what you've got going on, no matter what the journey has been or is for you and your family and your life right now, whether people know about it or it's something only you know about, I want you to know something today. There's someone who's well acquainted and they've known you even before you had a life. They know the depths of your deal. They know the wall that you face and the pain that's squeezing you. And where are you gonna find that? We're gonna scramble, we're gonna squirm, we're gonna look, we're gonna fake it. We're gonna do everything we can, but our heart won't rest until we find our rest in him. Dear God in heaven, thank you, O God, for your loving kindness and mercy. Thank you for watching over us. Thank you for your presence. No matter how high the mountain or deep our valley, you were there. No matter the depth of our troubles or the landscape of where we live, you were there. Let us find our rest in you today, our healer and our strength. In Christ's name, amen.